Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Well, today we begin a journey, a journey in trying to understand something we all experience, anger, and not only try to understand it, but also learn how to quench the fire that sometimes we feel within us. Anger is very, very common to every single human being. God created us with the ability to experience anger. And uh, as you can imagine, like in all other things, God created something for good. If we have the ability to experience anger, it's got to be a good reason. So why is it that so often anger becomes destructive? Well, we need to understand that. We need to understand what's going on, what happens within us, what's the, the real problem, and not just the surface, not just a band-aid, but we need the Word of God to do a radical surgery in the very core of our being if we want to understand this topic, which is extremely important and common to every one of us. From the passages that we read today, Proverbs 29, verse 22, and Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 26 through 32, we have already, um, we already can see very clearly that anger can be destructive and can be sinful. Proverbs 29 makes it very clear. An angry man will stir up strife. Relationships are destroyed by anger, sinful anger. And um, a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression, which is a clear uh, statement, as clear as it can be, that uh, being hot-tempered uh, is actually sinful. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read something I've heard so many uh, attempts to explain be angry and yet do not sin. Um, it's, it's very important that we understand that too. What does it mean to be angry and yet do not sin? I want to put some light in that. But one thing we can find immediately there is that we can be angry and still not yet sinning. So the idea that some Christians have that when you get angry already sinning, that it's, it's wrong. Otherwise, Ephesians 4, 26 will be a lie. And we know in the word of God does not contain lies. We also heard and learned from Ephesians 4 that we are not to hold on to anger. So uh, some methods that Christians tend to use, and I see it uh, numerous times that being applied by people that later come in for counseling because bad things have happened, of controlling themselves and bottling up 
does not really work because that means holding on to the anger. It's just you're not venting it, you're holding on the inside, but still Ephesians 4 says don't do that. So we are not to hold on to anger. We are to watch the way we speak, as we find in the latter part of our reading in Ephesians 4, which is obviously reflective of a state of heart, because I want to remind you that Jesus says that the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. So it is not just a mouth matter. So another myth about anger that some Christians buy into, if I just don't act it out, everything will be okay. And the answer is no, it's not. Because if you don't act it out, you're building an atomic bomb inside you. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to act it out either. So there is a different solution, and we're going to do, go toward that solution. We're going to understand this, but before we do that, we must understand the nature of anger. Otherwise, we're going to be, you know, misconstruing things and, and not really understanding what the whole deal about. Anger, then. The first thing we, we're learning, anger is not necessarily sinful. It can easily, quickly become sinful, but it's not necessarily sinful in and by itself. So why, one way to understand that is to realize that anger can also be defined as the other side of love. And there's one author that wrote a book entitled The Other Side of Love in terms of anger, and I was really hoping he will catch the whole picture. He got... 70% of the picture and missed 30%, which I think is probably the most fundamental aspect of all. So let me address that 30% as well today. First of all, I would like to compare the anger of God with the anger of man. And every commentator, every author that ever wrote on this subject from a biblical perspective has done that. But I would like to do it in a way that perhaps you haven't heard before because I would like to look at it against the nature of God, or in light of the nature of God. God, 1 John 4 8, tells us God is love. His love is perfect, and his love is expressed as giving the outpouring of himself for the good of the other people. So now, my wife would ask me the question, and says, well, but if that's the case, because that's, she likes doing that, asking questions like that, um, and I love it because it's stimulating for your thinking, you know. But if that's the case, then why do you hear that God lashes out his anger towards some people? All right, let's understand that. First of all, God's love is perfect. And God's love is expressed always as the outpouring of himself for the sake and the benefit and the good of the other person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that, you know that passage, all right, so we know what we're talking about. So anger in God is always an expression of his love. Now that's a little tough to understand, so let me take a couple of minutes to explain that. If I could resist God, and in resisting God, I could cause him to change, then his love for me would not be perfect. Think about that for a second. God wants the best for me, right? And God wants the best for you. And what is that best? Well, God wants an eternal relationship with you. God is the source of all life. God is the source of everything that is good. So outside of God, there is no life, there is no good. Is compared to the light. Light is energy. The absence of the energy allows darkness to be there. 
So then you understand from that metaphor that scripture uses in terms of God being the light and us being in the darkness, meaning in the absence of God. So then how can you find any good anywhere else? If God is the source of all good, how can you find any life anywhere else? If God is the source of all life, so the best that can ever be expected for you and me is being in God. Because that's where we find life, that's where we find blessing, that's where we find uh, all good, and that's where we find the light. So, why would God in his love allow me to go against that and try to find good outside of him? Where there is no good, there's only a deception that eventually will lead me to destruction, death, and the lack of life, the lack of light, the lack of good, the lack of anything that is desirable. In his love, God cannot do that, because if he allowed me to do that and not face some consequences with that, then I could just push against God. Imagine this physical motion of God pushing me toward that good. In his love, God is relentless. His love is perfect. And he won't give up. He won't give up doing what? He won't give up pushing me, leading me toward that good, toward that life, toward that light. Because that's what's good for me. Now, if I push against that and God moves to the side and lets me go, then I could change God. Now, that's a little tough. But think about it. If I could, with my will, May God stop loving me, I would change the nature of God, because God is love. So think it through, and you will see that God's love will not stop because I oppose him. So then how do I experience it? If I am opposing God, how do I experience it? We'll see in a little later, when I look at the difference between the two, that Romans 1.8 shows uh, 118 tells us what the difference is but let's stay with this analogy for now i am pushing against god but i'm pushing toward my destruction toward what is bad for me in his love god will not allow that he continues to push me toward my good so now i am experiencing his push as anger and i experience that in a negative way on the other hand, let's look at the other way and make it a little easier for, for us perhaps to grasp. Let's assume that I go along with him. Now, how do I experience his push toward that good? As a nice help. It's beautiful. It's pleasant. It's great. It, it, it leads me further up and it helps me to move in that direction. Think of a sail ship. You know, the sails are inflated by the wind, are pushed by the wind, the, the sail... Um, just propels the, the ship in the right direction and so on, but then now the ship turns around and goes against the wind. And so the sails start flapping all over the place and the ship has a hard time moving ahead. And the same wind that was good and positive before now is experienced as maybe a gale wind against us. And so the anger of God, you need to look at it as always as a manifestation of his love. That's where God says, I will not allow you to turn my love into something that is against you or harmful for you. Instead, I will oppose your resistance because I will oppose your destruction. And so we experience that as the anger of God. If you can see that, you are far ahead. If you can see that the anger of God is always an expression of his love, then you really took the biggest step in understanding anger 
and understanding the nature of anger and why anger is sinful for us. Because for us, our love is not perfect like God. Our love, when you think God is love, please don't use that word love in a human sense. Our love is selfish. We say, I love you, meaning I like you and I like the way you make me feel. It's all about us. We say, I love this meal, meaning I enjoy eating it. It makes me feel good. It's all selfish. It's all about ourselves. Even the mother love is really selfish in nature. Now, somebody says there is no greater love than a mother love. Well, think about that for a second. A mother will love that baby because it's her own baby. But she won't love another baby as much as her own baby. So, you know, guess what? It's about herself as well. It may be the strongest human love, perhaps, or one of them, but it's still based on self. Our love is imperfect, unless, of course, we are led by the Holy Spirit and we are filled with, no, filled, the Holy Spirit is either in us or it's not in us. It's not the liquid that fills us. But, uh, you know, with the Holy Spirit in us and us surrender to the Holy Spirit, to the presence of God, then we are led by His love. Romans 5 tells us it's a love of God that shed abroad in our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, unless God gives us His love, we are incapable of loving the way God does. Therefore, our anger is not led by love. It's not part of love. It's the other side of love, now in the sense of contrast. It's the opposite of love. It's the manifestation of that selfishness that we experience in our human cardinal nature. So instead of being fueled by love, it's rather fueled by selfishness. So let me illustrate it a little further. I'm gonna bring you some examples. Very quickly, please forgive me, we need to go fairly quickly here. But I'm going to bring examples that we all know. If we read the Bible, we know about those examples. Let's start with Cain. Cain manifested anger. He was probably the first one to come up with that kind of anger. Well, not probably, he was the first one to come up with that kind of anger because he was the first one to kill his brother. But maybe anger had been present before, but not quite at that point or that level. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that Cain resented his brother and that was manifested uh, in his depression. So one of, we see some of the symptoms of that anger. We see the correlation between depression and anger as well. But that's for another time. Now in his resentment, which is connected to anger, he ended up killing his brother. Why? It wasn't an outflowing pouring or an outpouring of himself for the benefit of his uh, brother. It was not an act of love. It was an act of selfishness. He resented the fact that God had taken consideration of a sacrifice which was offered correctly by Abel and had not taken consideration of a sacrifice that was not offered correctly by Cain. Now, by the way, we can have a sermon in itself. and, And there is a reason why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. Because fruits and veggies will not cover your sins. But the spilling of blood did. And Adam and Eve knew. Because when they tried to cover themselves with leaves, God said that's not an adequate covering. You cannot find and construct. There is a lot in there. You cannot construct your own way of finding forgiveness. But then what, God, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He killed an animal, took the skin, and clothed them with the skin. There was an outpouring of blood. There was a, a death. And that death was necessary to cover the shame of sin. So there's a lot in there. Well, would Abel and Cain know 
Of course they would. Of course they would know that. But Cain did not offer that. Abel did. So there is a reason for that. But Cain resented it and ended up killing his brother. That was not an act of love. It was very much selfish. Look at Esau. Esau ended up hating Jacob, who had stolen his blessing from their father. Now it's not good to steal. It's not good to, to deceive like Jacob did. I'm not in defense of Jacob. Jacob was quite a character. But Esau wanted to kill Jacob. He was so angry at Jacob that he failed to see his own wrongdoing in giving away that inheritance, that birthright to begin with. So we see again that resentment, that anger, and it's about all about what Esau lost. Now, he didn't lose it because somebody just took it away. And I know Jacob went through some weird things to, to finally get what Esau, however, had given him. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Imagine that. He despised his birthright and gave it away, traded it in with Jacob for a bowl of soup. Esau would not see his sin, but he resented the loss, and therefore he is anger, his wrath came up and wanted to kill Jacob. Moses. Moses at the beginning was, was quite a character too. He regarded himself too highly and uh, thought he was very important and that God would, uh, would do a lot with him. Acts 7.25 gives us some light in terms of the event that occurred at the beginning that caused Moses to have to run from Egypt and hide himself in a desert. Acts 7.25 says he supposed that his brethren, meaning the Israelites that were in captivity, understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. What happens here? Here is Moses thinking that they would understand that God put him in a house, in the palace of Pharaoh to help them, but they don't appreciate it. He sees the injustice that the Egyptians do against the Israelites, his own people. He bottles it up, bottles it up, then one day it all exploded. He sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite and he kills him. Now that power, the strength that he had to, to come to the point of killing wasn't there just all of a sudden. It was built up over time. So in these examples, we see a lot of the dynamics of anger that we're going to discover in a moment. But again, it's not about the Israelites. It's about Moses frustrated that the people mistreat other people and frustrated at the fact that his own people don't recognize him and don't accept him. And when he heard an Israelite say, who do you think you are? My own version of that statement. He realized he better get out because he wouldn't find protection in his own people so he couldn't hide in the middle of them and the Egyptians now would chase him for having killed one of them. So he ran, he took off, went into the desert and you know the rest of the story. Now, compare those examples with the righteous anger. And the only place we really find the righteous anger is in God. So you won't find the ability to have righteous anger in itself, in yourself, unless you're tapping on to God. Jesus, Mark 3, 5. He looked around at them angrily because he was deeply disturbed by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, reach out your hand. And the man reached out his hand and he became normal again. Jesus was angry at the Pharisees at the coldness of their heart, which stood against God's mercy and love. You see, at that time, with the coldness of their hearts, the Pharisees were pushing against the love of God. They were pushing against the mercy of God. They would rather keep the Sabbath their own way than have mercy on this man and allow him to be healed. It was all about themselves. 
But Jesus Christ expressed the anger not by lashing out at the Pharisees, not by punching them in the face, not by killing them, not by going against them because they got him upset. He used that anger to heal that man. He resolved the problem. He expressed the love and the mercy of God in that anger. Think about that for a second. It's very different from the examples that we saw before in Cain, Esau, and Moses, and for that matter, every single one of us. Look at another example of Jesus. Jesus in Mark 1.17 cleanses the temple. It's a typical example. We always hear about it when we talk about anger. Jesus gets upset, and so what does he do? He overturns the table of the money changers. He takes a little stick and sends the animal out. By the way, notice, he does not touch the money changers. He does not take the stick to kick out the people. What he does, he resolves a problem. By tossing, tipping over the tables of the money changers, he causes the money changers to go and, and, and grasp for their money. You don't see them standing in there and confronting Jesus. No, you see them going to the floor and trying to pick up as much money as they can. Maybe their own and somebody else's money too. There was in the meantime mixed in there. By sending out with a little stick the animals, he would send the owner of the animals out with the animals themselves. He was just clearing the area. You get the point? Now, Mark 1, 11, 17 says he taught them. In his anger, he didn't just lash out at them. He taught them. That anger served a good purpose. The scriptures declare, my temple would be called a place of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. So he was angry at the way people disregarded the temple, the house of prayer, because he created a barrier between them and the love of God. Because you can't just go to the temple and find commerce in there and people taking advantage of you because you didn't buy the sacrifice when you were supposed to and all you have is money and now the sacrifice you're supposed to offer is going to cost you 10 times as much as it would before. You know, that is not portraying the idea of a mercy and a grace and the graciousness and the love of God who will give his son, who has given his son for the sins of the people. That gives the idea of God manipulating you and taking advantage of you. And that stands against the love of God. So he used that anger to correct the problem, to remove that barrier that was harming the people and was isolating them from the love of God and was also clearing the area so that that respect could be reestablished. Again, you see the difference. It's not about himself. It is about the people and what is good for them. The key to that difference, I think, is expressed in Romans 1.18, as I mentioned before. Romans 1.18 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. Look at that again. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. Who does the pushing? The sinners, not God. God would gladly pick up and be the wind under their wings to go the right direction. But because they decided to push against the truth, and by the way, Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. He didn't say, I bring the truth. He said, I am the truth. It's relational. It's not just knowledge. It's relationship. So because these people have chosen to push against that truth, guess what? Jesus is not going to allow them to change him and turn him around to make them go their own rotten ways, although he allows that, them to do that. But they're going to see that barrier. And, and God ex expresses his anger as love. It's an expression of his love for them. And by the way, thank God, because without that, I don't think I would be here. So let's get back to the question then. 
What is anger? How can we define anger? Proverbs 29:22 tells us an angry man stirs up strife. Notice that. Stirs up strife. A hot-tempered man, think of heat. Think of something really hot. And you find what? In both examples, in both uh, ways of expressing that, you're talking about energy. You need energy to stir something up. You need energy to heat something up. So you can look at anger as an energy that flares up within us. Medical people will tell you, well, there's a, a lot of physiological changes. One of them is a rush of adrenaline, uh, high blood pressure. You know, in that moment, the blood pressure goes way up. The heartbeat is, is faster. Digestion diminishes, uh, you know, because the blood doesn't go to support the stomach and the digestive system. It goes out to bring oxygen and fuel to the muscles so the muscles can have extra strength and extra power. I've seen people, I've seen literally, that's what runs in my family, people doing absolutely incredible things in a fit or rage. My grandfather uprooted an anvil he was a blacksmith, so he had pretty good strength to begin with. But he uprooted an anvil with two fingers and threw it at somebody in front of him in a fit of rage. Now, those anvils, because you have to hammer them so hard, they are, they are actually nailed very hard to a trunk of a tree or a stump of a tree, usually. And that was the case in that particular scenario. My own father... Uh, four people were trying to move an, an engine, and they were doing it in a wrong way, and, and putting, putting themselves at danger and risk. He got really angry and upset because they weren't listening to him. Again, it's not a love, lovey-dovey type expression of, of anger. It was, he was upset because they weren't listening to him. So he picked up the engine and made it roll inside the truck. And four people were trying to move it. All right, so I've seen things, incredible things happen because of the extra strength in India. He probably pulled several muscles in doing that, of course, and damages himself, but he did it. So energy, power, stimulated, coming up within us. Now, Proverbs 15:18 tells us that he who is slow to anger can calm a dispute. So now you see the reverse side as well. There is this energy, but if you can tap at the onset of energy. And next time, when we're talking about solutions to anger, today we're trying to understand it. Next time we'll talk about solutions, we will look at that. That's going to be an important key. But when you look at the onset of that and you can slow it down, now you can channel it in a proper direction. So energy, think of energy. I think it's very healthy for us to understand anger as energy. Is energy evil? No. Energy in itself is not evil, but if you use that energy in the wrong way, it can be terribly evil. I, I don't like nuclear power and nuclear energy because it has a too much risk uh, to offset the benefits, and many people don't agree with me, but you know, you look at accidents that happen in Chernobyl and elsewhere in Japan and so on, and you'll see that yeah, there's a lot to it. But look at the nuclear energy. You can tap it and, and feed the, the, the need of energy of entire communities. Or you can put it in a, in a bomb and destroy Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So again, is the energy wrong? No, it's the use that is made of that energy. So likewise, anger is energy within us, extra energy that we may need to address the problem that is now surging within us. And what we do with it depends on the heart. That's why I went through all this time talking about the, the love of God 
and the selfishness of man. Because if we are led by the love of God, chances are we'll use that energy for the benefit of others around us in a loving way. In a, it's going to be the other side of love in a sense that is fueled by that love of God. But if we are moved in our heart by the selfish human love, chances are that that energy is going to take a destructive outlook. Anger can manifest itself in, with various magnitudes. It's not the same all the time. It can be indignation. It could be wrath. It could be fury. Or it could be rage. And just not too long ago, I was, I was talking to an individual that experiences that as rage. He is, has no recollection whatsoever of what happened when that poof, rage flares up. Um, and one time he went on and on and on. Uh, so in that half hour, he's got complete blank in his memory. So you can, you can see, it goes from the indignation, poof, you know, to all the way out to that condition. It can have various magnitudes, various intensities. It can manifest itself in different forms. A prolonged, simmering anger. Hebrews 12.15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That bitter root is caused by that simmering, slow, boiling anger. Or it can be bottled up, internalized, generally leads to a deceitful heart that the Bible talks about and, and, and deceit and, and, and manipulation in relationships um, that the Bible also talks about. Or it could be a short-fused, explosive anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And he talks about that quick-release type of anger, the, the, you know, the short trigger, the short-fused one. Or it could be a profuse, aggressive, and controlling anger. Matthew 5.22 tells us, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of a fire of hell. So Jesus Christ says, look, if you experience anger in, in yourself, you're in danger already. But if you express that anger against someone, and that profuse, aggressive, and controlling anger is really poured out against the people around the individual, then it says you're really big, big, big trouble because it's a spirit of murder. Sinful anger is destructive. We've seen that before. I just want to recall your memory on that. It destroys relationships. Many people use anger to control a relationship. There is nothing more wrong or mistaken than that because by using anger as a tool to control the relationship, they are destroying that relationship. Look at yourself for a second, please, and, and allow me in, in just a few seconds to make that point. If I start yelling and screaming at you, if I show you my fists, would you come close to me and be lovey-dovey with me? I don't think so. You probably go like this. Now, that gesture, that barrier, because the anger of my anger in this example aims at controlling you and controlling your relationship, that barrier makes it worse. Because now I need more power to break through the barrier and control you. It's a self-defeating process. Because now with my extra aggressiveness, your defenses go up even further. And I get more upset about that because I'm not accomplishing my purpose. And then you eventually curl up in a corner and I be, and then, you know, it goes off. You recognize it? Anybody? 
we experience these type of things. So, but it is destructive. It doesn't construct. It destroys us. It destroys the relationships around us. And I don't need to tell you that the long list of medical problems anger brings inside us. What about ulcers, blood, high blood pressure, hypertension, heart problems? Think about the emotional and the spiritual problems that we expose ourselves when we engage in that sinful anger. The way we end up looking at other people, the spiritual condition that we fuel within us, it's, it's really destructive. I, I would like to bring a few more points to, for you to, just as a list, for you to remember before I close today. Because I think it's very important as we understand anger to also recognize the onset of anger. And we're going to build on that the next time. In order not to sin when we become angry, the very first thing that scripture tells us is, is to learn to recognize that onset of anger. And here's the, a, a list, a short list of way people, just to help you think about yourself, uh, way people feel or experience that onset. It could be a decreased appetite. Unusually hot or cold, breathing faster and harder, feeling muscle tension, increased respiration or increased perspiration, silence, shutting down verbally, climbing up, feeling flushed, clenching your fists, racing or a pounding heart, Inappropriate, harsh, coarse language that you would not normally use. Now it comes up to your mind and want to, to, to speak out. A dry mouth. Loud, rapid, or high-pitched speech. Stomach upset or churning. Clenching of teeth. Twitches or other anxious behaviors. All, uh, and walking hard, stomping when you walk, or fast, or pacing back and forward. All those are things that people experience when they begin to experience anger. Different people experience different, different things. But that's a, a, an example, a, a short list to give you an idea. Think during this week, and be, be, between now and when we're going to tap onto that again, think about what your trigger is. Meaning not trigger, I'm sorry, your symptom, the early symptom is, the earliest symptom you can possibly identify is going to help you out a great deal. Another list I want to bring to you is that sometimes anger is not immediately visible. Uh, sometimes anger can be hidden. And here is how it manifests itself when it's hidden. You become irritable for no apparent reason. You feel irritable, but you don't know why. You're feeling hurt inside, but you put a good face outside. Or you turn into a workaholic. You find your, your outlet in working more and harder. You are very impatient, but you will deny that you are. You tend to want the last word when you talk to somebody. Now, that can be a habit too, but, but, but it can also be a symptom of hidden anger. You always want the last word. Or you end up feeling emotionally flat. Or you experience unusual fatigue, fatigue that is not due because you exercise too much or something like that, but it's fatigue that doesn't have a clear reason. Or you can experience that as a lack of interest in life. Think of Cain, who seemed to harbor anger in depression as well. Or feeling often frustrated by things, circumstances, and people. Sometimes people don't realize that they're harboring anger 
but they think they are frustrated. Oh, that's frustrating. This is frustrating. Oh, the wheel is frustrating. The table is frustrating. The person is frustrating. And that could be a symptom of unrecognized anger. So I think I give you enough to think about for now. We will revisit this and concentrate next time on solutions. How do we deal with this energy? How do we use it in a way that is more godlike and not so selfish as we tend to? One disclaimer I need to make is this. A sudden change in moods, and with that I don't mean the explosive anger, the, the, the wrath that is expressed explosively. I'm talking about an individual that generally is quite normal, quite calm, then suddenly, and doesn't have a history of that, it suddenly turns really irritable, really, really angry for no reason whatsoever, could be an indication of an underlying medical problem. So in that case, I usually advise people, go to your physician and have a thorough checkup. Do a full medical check and see how you're doing. Because there may be a reason behind that sudden, unexplained change in moods. But that doesn't mean, it's not, when I'm talking about changing moods, it doesn't, I don't mean about the person who pants up the anger inside and then all of a sudden explodes. I'm talking about an individual who does not usually have a problem with that, but now all of a sudden his emotions or her emotions are out of whack. So keep that in, in consideration as well. And with that, we'll dismiss that possibility of an underlying medical cause. Now, what have we seen today? Today we've seen that anger at the root, it doesn't depend on behavior. So any treatment for anger that is behavioral, any treatment of anger that is just cognitive will not do the full job. Anger is at the root of a problem, is spiritual. Anger depends on the state of a heart. If the heart is motivated by the selfless love as godly love or God's love in us, then it will take a different course. But if our heart is motivated by selfishness, if our love is tainted by our selfishness, if we are seeking our own instead of the best and the benefit of others, chances are that our anger will also manifest itself in sinful ways. At the very root, we need to understand anger. Anger is energy. Energy in itself is not sinful. That's why Ephesians 4 tells us, be angry. Yeah, we are created to experience that, but not to use it in sinful ways. But it's not just behavioral. It's not just, hey, I got this problem, but I now I'm controlling it with my behavior. That's only a band-aid. It's a matter of a heart. The mouth speaks by the heart. The arms move by the heart. The heart, the, the spiritual condition that we're in will dictate how this energy is eventually manifested or expressed, whether for good or not so good. And how to tap onto that and how to correct it will be the subject of next time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so very much, first of all, for creating us as marvelously and beautifully as you did, for creating us with this capacity to experience what we call anger. And we ask your forgiveness for having used this energy that you created us to in a way that we can experience, for having used it in sinful ways, in ways that are not good, that cause harm instead of bringing benefit and solutions. We ask you, Lord God Almighty, that you help us or grant us the ability to understand this mystery that sometimes buffles us, this anger that we experience. And we ask you to lead and guide our hearts to not just understand it, but to be able to tap onto that in a proper way, to resolve 
that in such a way that we will not continue in the path of sin, but rather change it, turn it around, and use what you created in us in a good, profitable, and constructive way. We thank you, we praise you, we depend on you, Lord God. We ask you, please, abide in us and lead us through your presence in us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.